flocks and shepherding. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, though. No promise that we cover uh, all five verses tonight. But let's pray together, and then we'll read. We uh, thank you, our God and our Father, for being kind to us and giving us not only your Son, the Great Shepherd, but under-shepherds to help us in our way. We thank you, Lord, for the Scriptures and pray that the Scriptures tonight would speak to us by your Spirit's power. Give us understanding. Also, give us faith, please. Give us, Lord, a joy in which, Lord, is our strength. We ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, begins, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Well, I want to talk a little bit tonight about shepherding the flock. And... Uh, First of all, in verses 1 through 3, we see the exhortation to shepherd the flock. Verse 4, we secondly see the promise of future glory for those who do so. And then thirdly, we see a command to all of us to be subject to the elders of the church. Now, in verse 1, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Peter looks at himself not just as an apostle, but he sees himself as an apostle, but one who also has a parity, meaning an equality, with the other elders of the church. I think we see this uh, worked out in Acts chapter 15 at what was known as the Council of Jerusalem, when Peter, who is one of the first people to speak in the discussion and debate about what to do with regard to the issue of circumcision and Gentiles being brought into the church, I think one of the things that's interesting to me as you read uh, that account is to see that Peter speaks, but he is by no means the final word um, as he speaks. But there are a number of other speakers. And that tells us, I think, something about the way that the church and Peter saw his role as an apostle, that he was an apostle who at times was inspired by the Spirit of God as he wrote the word of God for us, but he's also a elder uh, among the other elders of the church, and therefore he is one of many speakers in that debate on the matter of justification by faith uh, when it comes to the Gentiles. Now, in this verse, you'll note also that Paul, Peter, rather, says, um, I exhort the elders, plural, among you as your fellow elder witnesses of the sufferings of Christ you'll notice in verse 5 again it's plural you younger men likewise be subject to your elders I only emphasize this because 
I think it's, again, small, a little bit of evidence in the plurality of elders in a given church. Some churches, you have to understand, view uh, the elder in this passage and in Timothy and in Philippians and others as only speaking about the minister. So when you see, for example, in 1 Timothy 3, where it gives the qualifications for elders and then qualifications for deacons, some of our friends would say, but that, that passage dealing with the qualifications for elders is speaking about ordained ministers. And they don't view an, a role for lay people as um, elders, ruling elders in the church. Now, we in, in the Presbyterian Church do make a distinction between those who are called from the congregation to serve as overseers in the church and those who are called from outside the congregation to serve as teaching elders or ministers of the gospel. So we make a distinction, but we see whether you're a minister or a ruling elder, you are a part, you are one subset or another of the overall office of elder. So that, that we view the office of the elder as those who are ministers, teachers, and ruling elders. And so our book of church order, for example, uh, will note those uh, three different ones. You could add evangelist in there if you wanted to as well. Um, but we would view, for example, the minister would be somebody, boys and girls like myself, who is a uh, teacher of the word, but in a particular congregation. You have teachers who are also part of the teaching elder, but they operate in an academic sphere. And so they would teach at maybe a Christian college, or they would teach at um, a seminary, but they themselves are also ordained ministers, but they don't have a particular congregation in which they're serving. Um, they are serving more in an academic situation. Then you have evangelists. Evangelists are a type of minister as well, teaching elder. Their job is to create churches under the blessing of God. They go out into communities where there may not be a Bible-believing church or a Reformed church, and they seek to establish one, what we call mission works. And so the evangelists will serve there until they become a particular congregation. And that evangelist may move on to go and start another work, or that congregation may call him to become the minister uh, of that congregation. So um, there, there are different types of teaching elders. And then we also have, in addition to those types of teaching elders, we have also the ruling elder. The ruling elder is somebody from within your own congregation. It may surprise some of you who are not uh, used to Presbyterian government. <clears throat> I am not a member of this congregation. Okay, I am a member of Presbytery. Um, now, if I should marry and, and, and if I should have children, um, they would be members of this particular congregation. Their, their membership would be here. But <clears throat> my membership uh, is in the Presbytery. I am overseen by the Presbytery. Um, and so... Um, the ruling elders, therefore, are very important because they're coming from you, okay? The, the, they are not men directed by the presbytery. They're not called by the presbytery. I was called by the presbytery to come here. Um, I, you know, the, the congregation submits the request to call, but the presbytery is the one that delivers the call and, and summons a man and sees to it that he is qualified to come and be a particular minister in this church. So, um, the, the, elder, the ruling elder is important 
because they come from you. They represent you. When we go to presbytery, I represent the presbytery. I'm, I'm a minister of the presbytery. I'm a representative of the presbytery. But your ruling elders are important. The reason why ruling elders need to be at presbytery and general assembly is they're representing you chiefly. Now, I am, in a way, also looking out for the interests of you. I don't want you to hear that. But, um, but we come from different perspectives, okay? So I'm, I'm a representative of the regional church. They're a representative of the local congregation here. So ruling elders are, are very important at the local level, but ruling elders are not elected only to serve locally. They're to serve regionally and also nationally, denominationally. So what we see here is that Peter is using the plural. There's a plurality of elders. So whether you're a minister or a teacher or evangelist or a ruling elder, there is this plurality of elders and there is a parity among those elders. Each elder has their own uh, vote in, in a meeting. And so ministers uh, do not have more votes than elders. Um, and so uh, there, there is what we call parity among the elders here. And I think you see that parity. As Peter says to my fellow elders, P Peter does not put himself, even though he's an apostle, he doesn't put himself above the other elders, but he sees himself as a fellow elder and as one who participates as an equal on the floor of the council at Jerusalem. And he is one of many voices who speak to the issue that we see historically laid out for us by Luke in Acts 15. So just a couple of things for you to keep in mind as we talk about this idea of shepherding the flock. The role of elders is a very important position in the church, and I don't think that it is just ministers that are in view here, okay? It is including ministers, including teachers, but it also includes ruling elders. Now, let's get to the heart of the matter here, and that is the exhortation that you find in verse 2. So having, as a fellow elder, <clears throat> summoning uh, his uh, other elders, he says, shepherd the flock in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock. So when I was uh, young in Presbytery many years ago, in fact, when I was in the Presbytery of the South, we had a ruling elder who was also the regional home missionary, Jim Heemstra. He was like, our, we called him the good Dutch uncle. And Jim Heemstra um, <clears throat> had just a realism about him and, and a thing that I loved about him. And sometimes, as seminarians are want to do, they can get a little heady. And... Uh, and Presbytery can get a little heady, especially during the theological exams, where you're talking about, you know, subjects that, are, you know, are, are deep and complicated, and you're using big words like infra and superlapsarianism, and you're discussing all these things during the examination to see if a man is qualified for the gospel ministry. And I remember Jim Heemstra would stand up, and I, you could almost bet on what he was about to say. And he would stand up, and we used to, John Fesco and I used to get a kick out of it, he would say, what, in his good uh, Midwestern uh, accent, what is a shepherd? <laughs> what is a shepherd? He would, he would really just get real all of a sudden. And uh, after we're you know, up here in the stratosphere talking about various theological views, he'd ask the question, what's a shepherd? And I like that because um, I think what Jim Heemster was saying, you know, 
as great and as wonderful as this discussion uh, in theology is, let's, let's talk about <laughs> what you've been exhorted to do by Peter. <laughs> and that is um, to watch over God's people. The church, and Heemstra had a point, the church is not a university. We're not professors. We're shepherds, and there's a difference. Um, Paul says to Timothy, the goal of our instruction, Timothy, is love. We're not here just to fill the mind with content at the, like they do at the university. Now, part of what we do is to inform the mind, um, but it doesn't end there. But we also are to watch over the people of God as those who themselves will be held accountable by God and the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying, he's exhorting the elders to exercise oversight, exercise the role of a shepherd. What does the shepherd do, boys and girls? Well, he is out there in the field with the sheep, watching over them. And he does a variety of things. Sometimes he's feeding the sheep. Sometimes he's leading them to a new place. Uh, sometimes he's leaving them in the field because he's done a head count and he realizes there's somebody missing. And he goes and he tries to find that one that is missing and bring them back. Sometimes he has to wrestle a sheep <laughs> and because the sheep has an eye infection and he needs to put ointment in the animal's eye. So he's got to put the sheep in a headlock and do what the sheep doesn't want and, and put the medicine in their eye. And it, and it also means calling them. They need to be familiar with his voice. So there are many things that we see from this illustration. You can, on your own, meditate on Psalm 23 again. We sang that as our opening song. The Lord is my shepherd. And you think about how David brings us through that psalm, telling us what Christ does as our shepherd. But shepherding is simply the overseeing of the needs of God's people, helping God's people to grow in grace, grow in faith, and grow in obedience and likeness to Jesus Christ. Helping God's people to grow in grace, grow in faith, grow in obedience and likeness to Jesus Christ. Now, this means several things practically. It means, for example, feeding the sheep. That is preaching and teaching. We always begin there. The first thing that God's people need is a steady diet. If you don't lead the sheep to good places of pasture, they're going to have all kinds of health issues. So we always begin there. Now, we don't end there. I think that's where some young bucks sometimes make the mistake, that they think that, you know, they, there's such an emphasis in the Reformed faith on preaching and preaching and preaching and teaching. And I'm, a, I'm in agreement with Martin Lloyd-Jones. It is the most important thing we do. Um, I don't think counseling is going to help a whole lot if you're not sitting under the Word of God. I will meet with somebody once, you know, if they're off the street or something and they want some counsel. I, I will meet with them once. But if they're unwilling to sit under God's Word, I don't think long-term I'm going to be of much help to them. And so we, we begin with preaching. A lot of times God does the counseling himself through the preaching. And a lot of times it's unknown to me. Uh, you know, I'm not um, you know, necessarily aware of everything that goes on in everybody's life. I know I'm not. 
But God, through the preaching of the word, will touch on things. And a lot of times, you know, counseling uh, gets dealt with right here, you know, in, in, in uh, sitting under God's word. So preaching and teaching is, is primary, number one, but it's not the only thing. It's, it's the first thing, it is not the only thing. Number two, shepherding includes uh, private counsel. Um, when sometimes the teaching, I think when it says that the elder must be qualified to teach, that is not necessarily meaning he has to be really a, a dynamo in the pulpit or in Sunday school. I think it can mean that he simply is competent on a one-on-one basis to give scriptural counsel to those who need it. So the, the uh, qualification there, apt to teach, I think part of our shepherding is the ability, at least at a small level, one-on-one or one elder with a family able to uh, provide counsel there. Thirdly, it means uh, supporting God's people through prayer, keeping up with what's going on in the lives of the households of our church and providing prayer support, praying for the needs of God's people, regularly uh, seeking the Lord on those matters that are of concern to God's people. And then also, it means, fourthly, I think, uh, visits, periodic visits. Now, this, again, can take a variety uh, of forms. It could be the most, starting with the most formal, I would call the pastoral visit, my annual, hopefully annual, pastoral visits uh, to members of the congregation. Um, But it could be informal. It could be lunches. It could be having you over uh, to the home of the elder. For, for dinner and, and discussion. It could be meeting on a Wednesday night for counseling. Uh, could have more counseling sessions. But periodically, the visiting of God's people. There should be a familiarity. And I think um, that, that there's a variety of ways. Phone calls, texting, of course, is, is one. If it's, you know, if it's a matter that can be easily dealt with, like a, a prayer need or something, I think texting is, is fine, it's appropriate. Um, if it, it, if it requires more, then I think you know you need more face-to-face, okay, depending on the situation there. But there's, there is a variety of, of ways to shepherd here uh, in, in its formality to informality. But why shepherding? What's the, what is the significance of shepherding? Well, shepherding is important. Number one, it helps God's people, especially in times of crisis. Shepherding, regular shepherding of God's people helps people when the crisis hits, and there will always be a crisis at some point in everybody's life. Everybody, every Christian home will have a crisis. None of us are exempt from this fallen world. All of us will have seasons of testing and trial and crisis. So I think shepherding, as we shepherd along the way, it helps when those particularly acute situations confront our families. It's good, I think, if the minister and the elders have been familiar with the household all along so that when the crisis comes, they, it's not something new. It's not the first time they've been over to the house. Number two, shepherding helps people who are straying. We are sheep, and like sheep, we tend to wander. 
And so uh, we need shepherds to help uh, keep us in the guardrails. Uh, and so shepherds are one of God's means to minister to us here. Thirdly, shepherding uh, is a witness to the, the ministry of Jesus Christ to people, both in the church and outside the church. Shepherding is important because it testifies to the gospel that Jesus came into the world and ministered among us. He came and dwelt among us and ministered to us. He didn't just do it from on high or from the royal balcony uh, waving, but he came down and was among us. Shepherding and visitation leave favorable impressions on other people. Now, I say this because you don't have to be an elder to do this part, okay? And that is sometimes just visiting. If you have, for example, a neighbor who uh, unexpectedly goes to the hospital, um, it's a wonderful way to witness, to visit that person in, in the hospital. I know that there have been times where it has made an impression on me when I remember I was a new seminary student and I was kind of this broad evangelical just out of college, university, trying to, you know, as Richard Pratt describes uh, guys like me, you know, we were the theologically homeless guy pushing our, you know, basket around, trying to find a theological can here and there where we could. Uh, we just didn't have a home yet. And so I'm, I'm, I visited a variety of churches when I first showed up in Orlando. And, uh, but I'll, I'll probably to this day, you know, certainly remember that one of those ministers came to my apartment and knocked on the door and, and said, hey, thank you for coming to uh, our church last Sunday. And, you know, that made an impression on me. Now, I didn't go to that church, and he was pretty hardcore dispensationalist, and I pretty soon figured that wasn't going to be the place for me. But nevertheless, um, it, it left a favorable impression to have somebody come and visit. Uh, somebody told me this past week of a time that I visited um, a, a relative of theirs. I had completely forgotten that I had even done so, but it was a post-operation visit in their home. And uh, they weren't a member of this church, but I just had a connection and thought, well, I'll go and visit. And uh, they were telling me, even not knowing that I was going to preach on this subject of shepherding, um, what an impression that made uh, on them. Also, I, I remember um, my mentor, Larry Miniger, who served for 40-some years at Lake Sherwood. Um, I, I was in one of the uh, anniversaries that they were celebrating of his ministry there. And the two testimonies that stood out, they had a variety of people, whoever kind of wanted to give a testimony um, was able, and uh, both of them were women. <coughs> and uh, the first woman spoke briefly just what a, a difference um, his showing up on her doorstep on the day that I think her father or mother died, uh, that he kind of dropped everything and, 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 and showed up, really made a, a tremendous a lifelong impression on her. And, and I think Baxter makes this same point, that when ministers are, are busy in shepherding um, the people, it helps the people to be receptive to the word that's being preached as well. So shepherding is important uh, because more gets done right here if the minister is busy shepherding the congregation. The other story I heard that was kind of funny, it was a woman probably in her 
uh, mid-late 30s, but uh, she recalled a time that Larry Miniger was driving a group of teenagers to some, you know, Bible camp or something like that, and uh, she was a teenage girl at the time, and she asked if they, they could, if he could uh, put her music in the cassette player, and uh, so he said, okay, and he puts the music in the cassette player, and apparently it was, uh, the content of the music uh, was not, uh, shall we say, you know, to uh, Larry's liking and didn't think it was wholesome enough, and he, he hit the eject button and then started taking the cassette tape out of the, out of the uh, plastic and ripping it up. <laughs> And uh, here she was as a grown woman saying, uh, you owe me a blank cassette tape. <laughs> uh, but uh, even, even when it's uh, shepherding that maybe you don't think is uh, too agreeable to you as a teenager, uh, nevertheless, later in life, you come to appreciate it. <laughs> but notice here also that shepherding... Um, is to be done with restraint, too. Look at verse 3. We are not a cult. Now look at verse 3. Nor yet as lording it over. Uh, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but providing to be examples to the flock. We are not a cult. We are not, elders are not invested with inherent authority within ourselves. Our authority comes from Scripture. We are supposed to teach and preach and exemplify scripture. And that means we're, we don't go beyond scripture. We, we're supposed to stay in our lane. The Bible restrains the office of elder. We don't involve ourselves in things uh, that are beyond the scripture. You know, cults get into this whole personality thing where the cult leader begins to make, you know, personal decisions for other people, you know, uh, and, and which job am I to take her? Who am I to marry? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, especially in marriage. Look, you know, heal thyself, physician. Uh, I don't know who to tell you to marry. I, you know, I know the Bible says marry in the Lord, but marry who you want in the Lord, you know. Um, we're, we're not a cult. We don't lord it over people's conscience. You have a lord over your conscience, and his name is Jesus. And he died and bled to give you a liberty of conscience. And so um, elders are to be restrained in our shepherding. We shepherd uh, the scriptures. We shepherd according to the scriptures. We're not to go beyond the scriptures. Now, we're not to pull our punches, you know, just in order to, so you don't frown at us, um, you know, and, and never say anything that maybe you need to hear from the scriptures that goes against your grain. But um, we are to stay in our lane. Our job is to serve. Um, we, we are here to help you and provide wisdom from the scriptures for you. But there's a lot of area in between. You know, there's, um, you know, between falling off on the right and falling off on the left, there's oftentimes this liberty. And it's not our job to tell you exactly what to do. We can help. We can pray. We can give counsel. But there's a lot of areas that are matters of wisdom. And the trouble is, is that cults try to leave no areas alone and, and try to begin to dictate about the details of your life. And you see this in parachurch ministries sometimes that go off the rails. Um, they, they begin to teach on really weird stuff. And they, they begin to get away from the uh, things that are most important, Christ and him crucified. And they begin to hold seminars on 
really bizarro stuff, you know, and they get into details. As, uh, you know, I've seen stuff where they make the case that, you know, men should not have facial hair. And now it's probably the other way today, you know, men should never shave, you know. Um, I, I, there, there's weird stuff out there. Um, and uh, so anyway, we're not supposed to go there, all right? That's, that's not the, the role of elders. We don't lord it over your conscience in, in the details of life. Well, um, let me go to the motivation uh, in shepherding there in verse 4. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The exhortation to shepherd by Peter is um, motivated that the elders think about the world to come to think about the consummation, to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, we have to stand before the shepherd of shepherds, and we have to give an account. The Bible says that elders and ministers actually have to give a stricter account to the Lord Jesus Christ than uh, anyone else in the church. Uh, you know, to whom much is given in terms of responsibility, much is required. And so we have all the more reason to pursue holiness in our lives and to make sure that we are doing what God's word says. But Peter here is, is saying that we are not to be motivated here uh, by lesser things. He notes there in verse 2, sordid gain. Uh, we are not to do it under compulsion, he says, but voluntarily. So the motivation is to be under Christ, but it is uh, to be free from tainted things. Um, you know, one of the things that I think has been a confirmation to me that I'm where I should be is that I look at my day off and I look at a lot of my day off many times if I don't have, you know, various errands to run and bills to pay and things, you know, I, I do need to do better in that, but in the administration of my life. But, you know, a lot of times I like to do the very same thing I'm doing, you know, any other day uh, in, in work. I, I still, you know, I got to read my Bible. I still got to pray. I'm a Christian, you know, and and but the fact that I'm often doing those things on the day off um, as well, I think is is a what Peter's getting at here. You know, we do this voluntarily. If if I didn't have a job as a minister, I'd still want to be involved in the church, in helping God's people. Um, so um, he deals with the motives, and then finally. Verse 5, I'm just going to deal with this quickly, but I may take it up because it kind of bleeds over into verse 6. And that is that all of us are to be subject to the elders. Now, again, not inherently because we're elders. We're not flashing badges here and saying, obey me. We are coming as those appointed by Christ to help God's people. We're servants of God's people. So we're not, as Jesus said, to come the way the Gentiles come. Gentiles lorded over one another. Uh, they, they, you know, the, the Roman centurion tells us that's the way it works. Somebody says, do this, and I do it. Or I command somebody under me to do it, and he does it. But Jesus said, it should not be that way with you. That we are to seek to serve one another. Remember, the disciples, prior to the ascension of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit, we're arguing with each other. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be number one? Who's going to sit on Jesus' right hand? Who's going to sit on Jesus' left hand? Let's get mom involved and have her go and tell Jesus. That, you know, they, and Jesus says, stop. 
That's not the way we serve. We, we, are, we are to uh, serve as those who are uh, coming with the scriptures. And we our subjection, therefore, at this point, the subjection to the elders is not because of who they are in themselves, but rather that they come because they're appointed by Christ and they're coming with the scriptures. Now, one of the things that this means is that, um, young people, the Bible says that you always have to know your scriptures for yourself. That I am not the Apostle Paul, okay? But even the Apostle Paul was being checked by the Berean church. And they were commended for doing it. Now, if it had been me, I'd be like, hey, Paul says it, good enough for me. <laughs> right? But they, but they're, the Bereans are commended because they what? They look at the Bible themselves. And that's the way that we are supposed to uh, approach this subject of elders and lay people in the church. What do the scriptures say? The scriptures are our ultimate authority. Now, that does not mean that I or you are the ultimate authority because we think that's what scripture says. We have to do exegesis in community, and so we should listen closely, and if we are the minority voice on a position, we ought to think carefully and pray and, and maybe consider that maybe we have a blind spot. But here we see that the authority invested in the elders is that of Christ and the scriptures, not in the men themselves. However, he says, nevertheless, be subject to your elders. Be subject to your elders. So when in doubt, uh, you know, submit your case. Uh, but check and see that it might be the Lord is using the plurality of the elders to keep you within the guardrails. Does that make sense? And that includes the minister. The minister needs to listen to the elders. Um, there is not an infallibility with the office of elder. Uh, we do not uh, speak with inerrancy, except when we speak the actual word of God, read the word itself, though even there you have to be careful. We not, might not be applying it uh, accurately. Job's friends were quoting the scriptures accurately, but not applying it accurately. And they were wrong, and Job was right to a degree. But... He says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if there's one thing that I've seen where ministers, in particular in my presbytery, who have gone off the rail, I think it's often because they, they didn't listen. They weren't listening to their fellow elders. And it was that unwillingness that led them sometimes down some bad places. And uh, for a couple of them out of the ministry. Well, we're gonna, we'll take up more of this. Uh, this, like I said, bleeds over into verse 6. Let's pray together and we'll close. Father, we thank you for tonight's lesson. Thank you for the gift uh, and the 